to be able to have the 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 options now, the ability to be able to say, I want this person to represent us and our tribe, and I want these laws to be in place. Yeah, to have a fundamentally representative government that's representative on purpose. Yes. Yeah. So if if we're so now the argument becomes, well, what, what, what's the best? What's the best authority? What's the how do we agree, what do we agree on? What's the foundation on this? Where um, and so everybody is arguing for that place. Uh, I just got done reading an article where um, a Taliban prime minister for education said that they are going to allow women now to continue to be educated. And they just got Afghanistan yeah. back. We're going to continue to allow women to be educated, so they don't have to worry about that. There's no fear there. But there won't be any co-ed or uh, there won't be any gender mixing. Okay. You know? Yeah. And all I could think of is like, I wonder how many genders he means. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anybody else is wondering, hey, I wonder if he thinks about seven, we'll have seven different classes. No, he's got two. Yeah. Yeah. He's talking about two. But everybody's arguing for this is the best way to run a nation. And- But so here and they actually could do it. They actually could right, do it. Right. They have they have the opportunity yes. to actually say, here's we're going to establish the best kind of civil government that we can. Yes. So that's why I think theonomy is so popular right now. Yeah. Oh, I think that I I I get why theonomy is popular. What I think though is not being addressed is that there is a a fundamental underlying idolatry that theonomy is becoming is worldly and it has accepted and so it is not challenging the idolatry on what on what the establishment of a righteous civil government accomplishes so it is it's saying so the the world says if you give if if you have the right civil government in place then you'll have wonderful general equity you'll have a flourishing society and the government can accomplish all those things and theonomy doesn't do a good job of saying what theonomy says Jesus can accomplish your goals better than you can rather than saying what are God's goals for the civil government yeah, see, I think that that's exactly what the enemy says, though. I, I think but that's what I'm saying. There's a difference between you, who has read the original sources, <laughs> and me, who has read about to the it people? on Twitter. <laughs> right? I'm, t- I, I'm only talking about yeah the, the Twitter conversation about yeah, the enemy. I know. So, I I so, when but, I run into other theonomists, I find some of my harsher rebukes are for them only because I don't think they represent theonomy properly. Yeah, yeah and so and but and, that's the first thing that theonomy works on, though. Right. I, and I, you now I I agree that that's what theonomy was attempting to do. Yeah. But is but this is not a I mean worldliness that. It, is one of our is always one of the church's fundamental temptations. So the reason that we established all of the monasteries was because the philosophical oh, we talked about this last Greek time. mindset yeah, yeah, yeah was that that was that the monastic life was the most righteous, and was, so they used Jesus to accomplish the world's goals. And when 
monasteries are not mm. God's goals, right? So it, the worldliness was more fundamental. But in the same sort of way, you pour Jesus into the monastic life because um, the monastic life existed before mm-hmm. Christ came along. Mm-hmm. You pour Jesus into it, and it's a wineskin that gets burst. And you get some wonderful things that come out of it. And yeah. I think you know, you, you have something you, – you have – that's always the way it works. But if you look back at, I mean, I, I mean, I think this problem was inevitable the moment the Pope sent assassins after Martin Luther and the prince hid him and protected him. Which, what, what problem was inevitable? The problem of us thinking that the civil government was the, going to be um, able to hold hold us and and rescue us and because there was a moment when we needed when the civil government did the right thing right the prince ought to have protected martin luther from assassination and then he spent this time in the basement translating the german bible and you, know, you and so from then on the expectation was oh the the civil government is is rescuing the church right so you because it did Mm. Now, nationalism and the the and statism start to make sense in that situation when you need the government to rescue you from the, the church. Are you talking about time. how we got how we got flipped backwards on some of this? Yeah. Okay. So we we end up flipped backwards. But if you look at it in the historical context, it was because the church had flipped itself over. Right. The fact mm. that the pope. Has uh-huh, assassins uh-huh. on his payroll is a problem. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> something has gone terribly wrong when the church has assassins on its payroll. Well, that just that just goes to again. This is those spheres are broken. Yeah, so, you know, and so whenever you have broken spheres operating outside of their own authority, then you can come in and say, "I know how to fix it," but it's like, well. Who are who are you, and what should you be doing in your yeah. in your realm? Who who is this guy, and then what are, what offices do you serve, and then what are the the boundaries in which those offices should exist? And when you got a pope who's acting like the king, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. well, well, that's a problem because that's not a ministry that's given to you to to do or to right. operate it. If anything, you know, you would step back and say, "I'm a minister of the gospel. This right. is in yeah. my realm." Which which the in the Counter Reformation, you know, those things did get fixed institutionally in the Roman Catholic Church, um, and but the 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 damage sociologically had been done, um, and going forward, you you start to get this: we're so grateful for the government, which becomes we really need the government on our side, which becomes nationalism and becomes statism and uh, so the hmm. government can rescue us from all, everything yeah right? and but it was can you have that without having that same sort of attitude because i i i want to say um governments are to obey king jesus right yeah and they're in a rule and authority to make sure i mean in one sense they Represent God to the people and people to the God in one sense. As a civil yeah, magistrate, that's what magistrate. they do. Not as a prophet, right, or or priest, but as a civil magistrate. Um, so they they are to be in one way or another on their side. Now they're not their heroes, right? 
Well, I think, you and know. I, but I know, you know, Martin Luther is the one who said that humanity is like a drunk that falls off one side of his horse, uh-huh. gets back on, and falls off the other just to prove that he's balanced. Right, right. right. And, and I think that's all. That's that's where we're at now, right? We we had one particular problem, and mm-hmm. to prove that we don't have that problem anymore, we have gone and gotten the opposite problem. Now everybody fights over politics. Right now everybody fights over politics. Um, and that's been something that, I, you know, even here, one of the things I try to make sure of, and I think we all do, is even though with our show, Cross Politics, there's a reason there's a cross in front of everything else. Because the whole thing is like, if you look at the individual where the gospel hits first, <laughs> and that gospel transforms that individual, and that individual seeks to love God in his wife who he marries and has children with, teaches them to love the Lord, to honor God. What does that look like? Okay, that's how it looks like in the house. Now, how does it look like outside of the house with the neighbors who are right to us, to the people that we engage with? How do we love them um, with the same love that we've been given from our Lord Jesus Christ? You know, and then as you operate, if you live like that, it's going to have implications on how is that branches out the world that it affects. And so it becomes, um, whether or not you like it, it, it can't help but become political in one way or another. It's going to have implications because if as soon as we have a spat between me and you yeah, right. <laughs> and the civil magistrate, which is rightly to be involved in such a situation, well, what did you do? How weren't you loving your neighbor properly? Yeah. And then how should you restore what it was that you took or, you know, you misplaced his, uh, uh, treated him wrong misused his name in some way how do you restore those things and make those things right and so in one way or another you're acting out um in in society with other people is going to have implications to the whole of society yeah and I, but i think when when we say let's put this place right and we go to the highest governmental or civil power in the land and say if we get it right there that's wrong then that I think that's, that's where wrong. Yeah. that's where as Christians we are um, we're being tempted. I mean, there are people called to that, right? There are people that God does put in a governmental situation, and it's their job to be a transformative agent where they've been put. So can't even say even the person though that gets put in that situation. I want to follow the description of an elder. If you're there, it's only because you're ruling your home well. Right, like that's the right. that's in, the standard when things are when things are going well. Yeah, right? yeah. well, and even but so, you shouldn't <laughs> be there if you're not. But because the the flow of and this is and I think you're right, the flow of what we see in society and in culture and in politics is not coming from politics down, which is what everybody gets wrong. Right, the culture is coming from the cult, the people who create human beings. That's the culture that's going upward <laughs> to yeah, politics. Yeah. Well, and, and this is where, like, Aristotle calls people, he says, what is a person? He says he's a political animal, mm. right? He's biologically an animal, but as an animal, he forms political units, and that's what makes him human, right? So, mm. and we have bought into that misdiagnosis mm. of our identity and said, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't that long ago that... I could sit down with people and nobody asked how I voted. Nobody asked what party I was a part of. And we could just sit down and enjoy one another's company. And we might joke with one another about having different politics, 
but nobody was going to walk away from the table, right? Nobody, you know, there, there was the, what was it? The minister or the, uh, the person in charge of education saying, um, the Taliban, uh, working with the, with the Taliban reminded him of, no, it was the other way around working with, People that wouldn't wear a mask reminded him of the Taliban. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> that was insane. It's it's totally insane. They're bombing us with their right. f- uncovered faces, right? And and, and, and you think I gotta what, go find that tweet while you're talking. What about has it. happened? Um, and ha- as Christians, we should just say no, 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 no. Your how you voted doesn't fundamentally change who you are. Right? That's not it. That's not an identity marker. That's not a fundamental identity marker because we're not political animals fundamentally, right? That's not, uh, that's not what makes us human beings. And, um, and that's a temptation that Christians need to just, just, just resist right now. You know, it's, uh, because I think we think that means if we can change the politics, then we've somehow changed society. I think I found it. Have you noticed how strikingly similar both the mindsets and the actions between the suicide bombers in Cabal's airport and the anti-mask and anti-vax people here? They both they both blow themselves up, inflict harm on those around them, and are convinced they are fighting for freedom. Right. <laughs> that's you were like, huh? That, that is that's a a a, a using definitions for identity that are not close that are just not real he's having an unsequitur attack is what he's having (laughs) he's like what but he wants to make those two but there's something i think there's something different too though jason in the sense that um the way that sinful man has continued to go has produced in him such an attitude that the way that he does vote the way that he does think and operate has created um no bridge for common human decency anymore yeah for sure. and i don't think that's on our side necessarily I, but i i do see i do see a lack of tolerance being developed on a lot of the conservative yeah. side because of that because they're getting treated like that and they're not you know but i don't i see that happening just like that I just got yeah. done reading but but that's because there's when you ha- when you bring so modern modern political theory does accept a Gnosticism that says, based on the, the political ideas I have in my head, I'm a different kind of creature mm. than the person that has those ones. So Karl Marx called, mm. it, called it socialist man, right? You could evolve to socialist man by getting the right political theories in your head. So this is how we get to um, white fragility being dangerous or white whiteness being very very dangerous that's just happening right now which is you know white whiteness is um white supremacy we get to white supremacy because this constant threat of of that there's white supremacy now this is where somebody like george orwell's animal farm is why it's so important to read it i had my kids read it the last summer and um because in order to keep power, tyrants will create create uh, threats that can't be ever 
pinpointed. Like coronavirus? Yeah, so that they can't be gotten rid of. <laughs> that's, that's why, that's why I my kids read it. Yeah. It's like, hey, this is, this is a move. I've, You're I've a seen shot. this move before right. because of the, I've seen the pigs in Animal Farm do this. Right? Uh huh. And so. In order to keep their. In order to keep their powers. Like, I, I know, I know this play because I've read it in a novel. Right. And, um, this is, um, and, you know, white, white supremacy, I think, is a good example because it's, it's, but but the left is not the only one that does it because fighting terror is the same sort of thing, right? You can, you you have to keep keep the war going until nobody is scared anymore. <laughs> that so and then the more scared people are, the more power you should take because we're fighting terror. I, I, it's it's funny, um, and I'm not saying that this was an inside job. There are no conspiracy theories here. But I, I <laughs> none at all. Not in the microphone. Not no. I have plenty in my head. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I I picked up on, paying attention to everything that's going to Afghanistan, was the twenty years ago, um, with, with the nine eleven attacks. I think I might even told you about this. We were so afraid, so upset at everything that happened, that for the sake of of safety, we gave up every freedom that we should have kept that the government had no responsibility whatsoever to take from us. Um, and we gave them all up and to a point that we said, government do whatever you have to do just to keep us safe. Cause we don't want this to happen again. Right. And rather than have an anchor set up in uh, some sort of objective positioning, understanding principles, our emotion got the best of us and moved us into a place where we would do anything in order to be able to, Without asking, is it their responsibility? What is my responsibility? You know, who sh- who dropped the ball? And you know, all these. Instead of asking the the objective questions, so that when our emotions came to play, we knew kind of okay. Listen, we really want something to be done, but that's not the government's job to do these things. So how do we implement our own safety within us? You know, but, but we gave it all up to the government, CIA, right. all kinds of stuff. So then when we get the Trump dossier papers that come in and like how do they have the authority just to investigate everybody like this and it's like well you gave those freedoms up 20 years ago because of the twin towers horrible incident horrible horrible but there's there's something else that can become a second crime scene that'll be a lot worse than the first one if you're not careful well and i mean in 20 years ago we put a wasp's nest in a backpack called afghanistan Mm. right there's no way to pull the wasp nest out of the backpack without. Yeah. Especially if you crush it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) there were two things we could have done, right? Mm. We could, we could have been imperialists all the way. Now I hate imperialism, Yeah, but this was one of the options. You can hit the wasp nest in the backpack with a baseball bat until everything stops buzzing. Mm. Then you can take it out peacefully. Mm. I, I, that's not what I'm advocating that we could have done that. And that would have gotten the backpack out peacefully uh, or gotten the wasp nest out peacefully. Um, or you do what we did, which is you pull it out and you run for it. Now, it would have been a good idea to, say, like, take all of the, take everything out before you pulled it out and ran away. Instead, just on a whim, we were like, hey, has anybody unzipped this backpack for a while? Let's check what's in there. Uh, yeah, and then yeah, you just yeah. drop it and run, right? This is a, it was a terrible way to do it, but there was no way for that to go well 
because of a foolish decision that we made back then out of, a, a com- I think, a combination of fear and hubris. You know, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. So we, we, we went after um, Afghanistan without realizing that they had defeated Russia. <laughs> yeah, we knew that. Like, we knew that. We knew that because we helped. We helped right, in right. the '80s arm and train Osama bin Laden. So, <laughs> so what we were? Th- I mean, I, and the it Taliban. Was, yeah, it was it, it was unconstitutional. It was illegal. The whole thing. But then once you have it in your backpack, you also have to be wise about the fact that you have a hornet's nest in your backpack. Yeah, yeah. And we didn't do that well either. But it's but it's because we didn't grow in wisdom for the last twenty years. We actually went the other direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, when I was in um, uh, northern Iraq, it was uh, in Dehuk, and um, when was that? Uh, eight nine years ago. Okay. And I w- had people come up uh, to me in the streets and say, "Are you an American?" I'd say, yeah, and they'd say, thank you, and they'd shake my hand. Mm. Tell, and they said, when you go back, tell George Bush we said thank you. <laughs> yeah. right? As soon as I said I was like, yeah, you got it, you got it. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, I'll text him right now. Um, and when, when I was asking the Christians what's that about, he said, uh, so the, they were the, it was, I was up, up amongst the Kurds, and he said, we were the people that were being attacked by the Iraqi government. So the invasion for us was a blessing. Mm. And in fact, the Kurdish prince, because there's a tribe within the nation um, that has a, its own army. And it's really interesting. We, we don't understand the way the medieval, the, I mean, the middle Easterners think, but he actually legalized Christianity for the first time in a thousand years as a thank you to George Bush. Yeah. Right. That's the Kurdish prime minister, the Kurdish, Prince. 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 So, so yeah, they're, they're actually the Kurds are interesting because I think they're a Christian nation right now, right? They, they are the place where Christianity is legal. So he's he's a Muslim, the the prince, but Kurdistan is not a nation; it's a tribe okay. that exists in multiple nations. He so he's a Muslim who, uh, as a thank you to George Bush for rescuing him from the the terrors that were actually being done. I mean, the, the, the weapons of mass destruction were being tested on them. Mm. Right? So the, um, the, they were grateful. I still think the war was unconstitutional. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So you look at it and you say, Oh, look, God did something interesting. He was, so you suddenly had, public baptisms for the first time in a thousand years <laughs> because of an illegal war. Yeah. Now I, God, he knows what straight he's, with, with I know. crooked lines, you know? And so you, Can, you have this weird thing in the middle East where they think differently than us. Um, and there's things we can learn from them, things they can learn from us, right? They, they, um, approach power differently than us. Um, they, and there, there's, there's this entire misunderstanding that's already brewing. And then we say, oh, and we're sending in troops and we're taking over. <laughs> right. So it's, it, it has, yeah, there, there was no way for any of that to go well. Could you go back? I want to go back to what you were talking about with um, Marx. 
and you said yeah. on the political animal stuff. Could you? I could. What was the quote that you said? Uh, from the Karl Marx quote is he he said um, what we're after is people evolving to socialist man, mm. right? So that um, they move up the chain of being, they become more human by becoming socialists. So it's a it, it's a revival of Gnosticism. Uh, that's what you were saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So revival. So you say like that's part of the uh, in the way that we think about our political lines. If you don't vote this way, then you're not on the same tier. We create. You know, that's Gnosticism in the sense that we create our own hierarchical structure of humans yeah. based on who believes like I yeah. do. It, and it, so the chain of being is what it's called in Gnosticism, where you've got the at the very top, you've got pure, you've got uh, God or pure spirit. And sometimes in some, certain Gnosticisms, you've got pure spirit. And then God is the top underneath the pure spirit. So he's the most spirit, but he's not pure spirit. And then at the very bottom, you've got dirt, mm. rocks, pure matter, and um, that. He, uh, and then you've got this. You know, you've got people. Have people are somewhere in the middle. They're half and half. Mm. Um, but through getting the right ideas in their head, they can move up the chain of being. So um, I'm about a little over halfway through Frederick Douglass's. Uh, autobiography and he talks about um, the place on the chain of being and that the the way slavery was uh, was made imaginatively possible in a Christian nation which he, he says he, he's he's it's interesting because he says I understand that my master's Christianity is not true Christianity because they have uh, created this a uh, this different way of thinking about humans that I can be less human than them. And he uses the phrase chain of being They're above mm. me on the chain of being. Right. So he understands that, that slavery requires Gnosticism to justify itself. Mm. Marx understood. But it's so evolution. It, yeah. It's, it's just evolution. It's it like, is. okay, where so are you at on the pecking order? Evolution is Gnosticism laid out biologically. Mm. Right. So it's the great chain of being just laid onto history. You move up the great chain of being through history. Right? So it's the same lie that God, that the devil tells in the garden. You can become like God, right? You can evolve. Mm -hmm. You can move you up to the chain get of the being. the right ideas in your head, right? Mm -hmm. Half God said, right? Is that really true or is there something more true that will move you up the chain of being? Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. So that that lie is, is fundamentally um, married to the modernist, every modernist political project, right? Mm. So not, not every, not historically, but in terms of philosophical modernism, um, you had that particular lie. They all was married to all of them. They all agreed on them. That's why there's so many different and versions so, of imperialism. So are you saying then when we operate, when Christians are operating politically or things like that, we're thinking the same thing about the other individual because Christian wise, I, as I'm not thinking because the person has a different thought than me, they're less hum, human than I am. Right. Right. Yeah. That, and, and that's what I'm thinking is that person is lost. and needs to be reborn. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And they need to be restored to reality, but he's like me. He's, yeah, he's just like me. He's they, like me, 
except for the grace of God, I would be that's, there. Too. That's yeah. right. right. So the thing that separates us has nothing to do with something inside of me. Has or a something choice that I made. Right. Or, it, yeah. it has to do with the robe of Christ that is on me outside yeah. of his righteousness. So I have an alien form of righteousness that he doesn't have yet. And what I want is the spirit of God to move in his heart so that he becomes like me. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 100%. But so that we can be like again, same again. Yeah. Right. Restored again. And this is this is where God challenged Noah. You know, Noah was happily happily serving God so long as he got to serve God amongst the Israelites, um, it because you know, they were they weren't renamed Jews until after. So they were just they were the, named the Israelites at the time, and he was happy happily preaching the word of God. Mm. As soon as God said, "Hey Jonah, go to them over there," he was like, Mm-mm. "Are you talking about Jonah? I thought you said Noah. I'm sorry. No, no, Jonah. Jonah. I mean, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I yeah. meant Jonah." <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, he right. God is challenging the, his understanding of mm. what makes them different. Yeah, right. And because God wants the whole nation to understand, it's just my grace that makes you different. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when Jesus comes along and he says, "I I put the light on top of a hill for the whole world to see," right? he's talking about Old Testament Israel. He's not talking like. Now that I'm here, we'll put a light up, right? There, there had always been a light for the nations that was up on the hill in, in Jerusalem. Uh, at least since David re- took over Salem, renamed it Jerusalem, the light is put on that particular mountain for the whole world. And every time that God's people started to say, well, you know what makes us different? It's something other than God's grace. Right. This is what Paul's getting at in, in uh, Galatians. We talked about circumcision. Yeah. 100%. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. they're saying, look, we got, look what we got. Yeah. It's like, cut it all off. It don't mean nothing. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like apart from. Yeah. It's just God's grace. that sets apart. So that's why Jesus says in, mm. the, you know, in one generation, this is all getting knocked down. Right. Yeah. He, it's because they had tried to turn the light in on themselves. They tried to cover it up and keep it to themselves. It's so funny as you're saying this, I'm, I keep on going through the verses and thinking about Paul, uh, uh, is it Paul asked, was, was uh, Abraham justified before or after? Yeah, before yeah. or after the yeah, law. Yeah, 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 right, exactly. Right. Yeah, okay. So, and what is our, what are, how are we, give me a clear way that we're operating outside of that as it relates to, Society. I mean, I guess politics. We're still in my politics. Just yeah. maybe in how yeah. we engage. Period. Where we act. Where we're acting like, you know, they aren't. We aren't the same. Well, I mean, I think we. The way that we engage our neighbors is not like we're engaging humans, right? It's like we're engaging. So. When we say, you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to go get some laws passed that my neighbors are going to hate because then they have to do what it is I want. Right? We're treating them like mules. Yeah, and we would, and, and actually, if you're thinking about that, you, you're you're missing this. There's a standard for what law should do mm-hmm. and who they should protect. But if you're ever going to have a law be effective in the way that it needs to be effective, you're going to have to have a heart change in a person. Right. right? Yeah. Something has to change yeah so that if because you know if god's law can't change hearts how much less are the laws of the state of washington or the laws of the state of idaho or the county laws or the federal laws i mean 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I want to be careful too at the same side and, and remind people that law though also suppresses wickedness. So people. Right. Yeah, it's not that law doesn't have its place. Yeah. It's just that it, we're using it the wrong way. We are using it the wrong way. We're thinking if we can get the laws right, we've saved, we've saved something, saved society or something. Yeah. But, I, I, and but, I feel like that, but I feel like that differently. I feel like if we can get the laws right, that means that we've gotten the, the, the foundations of culture right because the laws are right, right which is that there's been revival in the hearts and the families of people yeah <laughs> and so right. our laws are reflecting what's happening inside of the revival right <laughs> and and if that's what we want though then we have to approach our neighbors as if they are humans made in the image of god who are made of his word right they're made of that so rather than treating them like um mm. cattle that need to be controlled we treat them like the the glory bearers that they're intended to be. That's a good line. So I don't mm, – the way that we think about our neighbors who are pro-choice, homosexuals, um, and in all sorts of debauchery aren't people who are made of God's word. I don't think that that's usually the first thought <laughs> yeah. that comes to us. For sure. Like, yeah. It's not um, – it's funny. It's taken me a long time to understand um, rhetoric. <laughs> you know what I mean. And and I, the the thing that I've I've found that I've always run with first is all the information that I know. I see this happen so many times in this in the race debate in the cultural warriors is that they have all the facts um, and and yet. They're not people aren't just made up of just facts, right? right? Like yeah. they're they're not, and so it doesn't work in the same way. Um, and so thinking about people being made of God's word makes me think differently about how to communicate with them, right? Right? If we assume people are made of brute facts, then we will treat them like brutes. That's narcissism, though. That's narcissism, right? Yeah. So um, whereas when God creates the world, He creates in a, a six stanza poem and then this world is that poem mm-hmm. or a six verse song mm-hmm. um, and so if if our neighbor is made of words um, na- made of God's poet poetry um, if their character in God's poetry then the we approach them differently and know that the thing that changes us is going to be um, is is going to be as beautiful as they are, right? mm. but we don't treat them as if they are a person that has a beautiful. They're, they're the image of God, right? That's something that's beautiful and glorious, and mm. and you know they might be trying to attack the image of God in themselves, that's, mm. and mutilate it, cut it, yeah, yeah. and we should not want that. Mm. Um, because not because we're somehow uh, think they're gross, right? But because we know that they're not. We know what they're made of. Yeah, we know what they're made of. So when Paul mm. when, when Paul talks about how we speak to one another, he says uh, he says when you speak to one another, speak with kindness, because you are either building someone up or tearing them down. Right in Ephesians four. It says build one another up with the way you speak to one another because God has begun the construction project on this person. And then because God loves 
building people from words, he invites us to be a part of the construction project of our neighbor by the way we speak to them. We can build them up with our words because they're made of words. People are made of the kind of stuff that came out of the mouth of God and created a human soul. Right. And then we're made in his image. And so our words act analogically, act in the same sort of way, right? That that our words are an, an analogy of God's creative word. And we're, but as sinners, we often use them to tear people down. Can I, this is interesting. Um, so C.S. Lewis, just so to be honest with you, I haven't read hardly much of C.S. Lewis. He wasn't in my circle, in my culture. He was there, but it wasn't something that we read. Yeah. His influences were massive, though. So I remember I was doing theater, did a lot of stage stuff, did a lot of theater stuff, and people who weren't Christians were the first people to introduce me to the works of C.S. Lewis. Okay, yeah. So You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I, I remember doing a black history play, and the next play was coming up was Narnia, and I was like, oh, well, yeah. what's Narnia? And these homosexuals and lesbians were like, Narnia is amazing. You yeah. have to... And and I didn't know who C.S. Lewis was, and they start telling me about Narnia, and I'm like, "Oh, the lion's Jesus," and they're looking at me like, "You're like, because you could see it, right, yeah. right," and they're like, like "Well, yeah, I, I guess," and they, you know, he sacrificed, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's what Christ did on the cross." Like, oh, this is pretty cool. Who is this C.S. Lewis guy? Right. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and and so the the story that C.S. Lewis. You know, he got into storytelling for this very purpose because right. he knew people were made of this stuff. Because he could see, so he was doing apologetics. Right. And he could see that it was helping Christians. Right. But his, his, it was rare that his apologetics was helping non-Christians. Right. Well, right. this is amazing because it opened up. So I got to I got to finish. This is amazing. Yeah. So um, as because of that, I had a chance to sit there in a room of forty people and to really just proclaim the gospel. So clearly, and they had these touch points that they could automatically start jumping into the narrative that I'm yeah. communicating from Scripture and understand those. And we're having this dialogue. It was the weirdest thing in the world. I'm 15, 16 years old by this time, you know, and they're hitting my point. I'm like, yeah, and then this. And so now what that means, there's a follow through, like there's a lifestyle that you live, you know, in accordance with. And I watch the room kind of like guilt, like, what do I do with my sin? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you right. know what to do with your sin now though. Right. Like, and you know who took your sin and it was amazing. So here's my, here's my thing. Well, so what CS Lewis called that is, um, he called it baptizing the imagination. Oh, I love that. Yeah. He Hold said, on, let me write that down. He, he said, stories written by Christians have the opportunity to baptize the imaginations of people so that when they hear the gospel, they have, the categories to okay. understand it. I'm not even trying to be funny here. You also called it repaganizing, which I like that phrase. Repaganizing. Yeah. How do if the way that I can understand as a Presbyterian how baptism work? How does that work for a Baptist if you rebaptize <laughs> and imagine? Just trying to. Well, he, was, he was an Anglican. Yeah. So I yeah. mean, we we can still share in that a little bit, but yeah. I, anyway. But so here's here's what here's what I'm struggling with. Um, my friend Todd Friel. Um. Came out and said Lord some stuff. bless him, as they say to himself. <laughs> bless his soul. Bless, bless his, his little soul. heart. Um, came out and said some crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, pretty insane stuff. And, and, and one of the things that came to my mind is that he just doesn't know the story. Mm-hmm. 
He doesn't yeah. know the story, so he's talking and he's telling the wrong story, and and he's missing it bad. But the thing that came to me is that in one sense or another, we're all kind of doing that. Yeah. It, okay. And and I'm, maybe we not might not be doing it to that degree. But here's what I was thinking about. I was after I was criticizing in my mind, I was working through some of Todd's pieces and how messed up they were, and I began to realize that. My critique of Todd didn't tell a better story. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it was a critique without communicating a story or communicate in a way of the stuff that people are made of so that they felt they they were invigorated by what I was saying and, and that resonated a lot more because they're made of that kind of stuff. And I was thinking, how is it that we have a world permeated with C.S. Lewis, all the way to the point where little young pagan kids are telling a Christian kid about this Christian story who he has never heard of. Yeah. And that has, you know, what, two generations now, three generations of people saturated around the America and the West with these kind of stories. How do we start to pull from 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 those stories that they're anchored with? In the way that we communicate, because I'm finding that, you know what I mean? If they, if they kind of already know the stories, I mean, the movies, they're everywhere. Yeah. Right. Um, Lord of the Rings. Right. And, and so uh, what's crazy is a lot of Christians can't understand what makes Lord of the Rings Christian. Return of the King. Come on. No, I know it. Once you see it, you see it, but there's a lot of Christians that don't understand how deeply and fundamentally Christian Okay, I'm about the to pull like Lord of the Rings is. But I ain't got time for them, folks. No, no, but, but this, but this is why. So, I'm pulling what I said. Don't do. Do you know Todd, Todd uh, Friel? It, it would be. I wouldn't want the whole world hearing every thought I ever had the first time I had it and recording it. So you got to have grace and let him say, "Okay, maybe I made a mistake." But yeah, but so, but he is approaching the world as if there is one ring, and whoever has it is in charge. And the problem is that they have it right now. Oh. Right? Ooh. <laughs> Keep going, preacher. And so Ooh. Uh, not the, the way the Lord of the Rings approaches power is, oh, don't, don't trust me with that. Mm. Uh, right? Oh, don't trust me with that. Right? Um, and that there's the temptation that comes with power that, um, that anybody could become Sauron. Mm, that, mm-hmm. that that there is that that the left ventricle of everyone's heart has a small Sauron in it that with given the opportunity it will grow and take mm. over and you, we would devour the world just like he was if given the, the power right? mm. um, and uh, so, so that the problem of man that, right yeah that the the problem of the the, the problem of man um, is actually within him mm-hmm. right? mm-hmm. and that we need somebody ex we need an external word to come to us we need an external um, beauty to come to us we need an external music that comes and uh, from the outside to rebuild mm. us right mm. that, that there's not a um, that there's that there isn't a solution inside us and so, so that just the ring represents that um, the, the, the in the, the heart of man, run to its end this is this is so so you know this is 
for those people who aren't able to follow. This is Romans six, though, right? This is where mm-hmm. you you have to be able to die in someone else and be raised with them to have now a relationship with that new husband, right? Like you, right. you, you, right? You have you can't and you can't do it. Like you, it's not you. Yeah, right. right. And if so, um, I think I've mentioned this before, but the uh, nausea is a book by a, a French existentialist, and it's all about how the fact that we did not create ourselves mm-hmm. um, makes us fundamentally um, unable to find a, a fitting place in the world. Right. So that the fundamental experience of humanity is nausea at the fact we did not create ourselves but our yeah. desire is to be our own creator right now and he and he says so therefore we should is albert camus there's therefore we need to figure out ways to become our own creator right so um or to at least mimic it and so you do something crazy that proves you you exist as a creator of yourself right? you know what I, that's that, what i think this whole workout fad is about i see right now oh i there's, I, there's, there's so a, much of all, that. It's it's all over plastic the place, surgery, right? all yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But the ability to find comfort in our Creator is what Christians should be bringing to the table to say, "Well, do you really want to be your own Creator? I mean, we've got a really great one. Why do we, why would we need to be our own?" Um, but the 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 half God said of the of the devil echoes and reverberates. Um, through you know through mankind to this day how so i want to go back to this knowing that um it's amazing how much of america is saturated in biblical knowledge right yeah i mean almost all of our slang in one way or another in america has some sort of if somebody's a man like, where, do you, right, where yeah. are you getting that from yeah. like you know let it be so like all this stuff and it's and it's not it's not just resonating in um Biblical knowledge is resonating in King James version. It's amazing. Like yeah. it's, you know, so it's been there for a long time. Right. And so with that, and then with stories that were, I mean, you can't tell a story right now that doesn't have a Christ figure in it in some way or another. That's why some of the stories don't work when they try and put the wrong Christ figure in there. Yeah. Right. You can, you can try, but nobody's going to want it. Right. Yeah. They all, they all, they, they, they people know why it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> people can figure that out pretty good. It's amazing. But but all of this um magnetic pull that we have this kind of dormant inside of people. I feel like with CS Lewis's story permeating so much of the culture, there's this little magnet that he helped put inside of people and we keep on using copper. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I think I think so. So, but how do we use how do we use a high powered magnet to communicate? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think that it it's because we don't think in terms of um, you know word image music, word image music. You know, that that what is it that uh, what did what did God give us to can you know, convince the world with I mean, he told us that we don't have a pen and you know uh, paul says we don't, i don't have a pen that writes on hearts but what i do have is the proclamation of mm. the word right mm-hmm. um but what what um what people 
what what people are made of is you know as the image of God, um, you know the we there are things that will resonate with how God made people and things that work against it. Right. Um, so we're just people ignorant then? Are we human? Are we, you know, yeah, we, do, we don't know how to know people. We don't know how to, <laughs> we don't know ourselves. We don't know other people. Um, you know, our humanism is our, broken. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Calvin starts off his institutes saying that there are that knowledge of God and knowledge mm-hmm. of self are the two things that we need. And I don't know which one comes first because you can't have one without the other. They, and so you've got this um, lack of knowledge. of we, we think of people like machines. We think of them like cogs. We think of them like computers. Right? We, we don't think of them um, as human beings made in the image of God. And so we leave out all of the things that are actually rhetorically effective. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that uh, he switched to storytelling because it snuck past the watchful dragons that normally uh, recognized the gospel to keep it out. So, it, and uh, the another great quote from Tolkien um, talking about he, he's he. I love when you bring books, but <laughs> I like better when you bring books for me personally. But this time you brought a bunch of books to to kind of look through. He, he he says we have to beware lest the glamour of poesis overcomes us right the and so he's he he says the the glamour of poesis meaning the um that storytelling that the artistic expression with language with story with poetry he said it it carries with it its own convincing uh power because of its beauty right and um and he's he's talking about historians that are miss are misusing uh beowulf and and he says mm. the, the problem is that uh, in order to do it you have to dismantle it because as an as a poem it's too beautiful and so if you just try and pick it up and take it as a poem you will uh, you're going to be overcome by it and so what they do is instead they dismantle it and they turn it into small little pieces and you analyze each one separately because that that takes the glamour. Uh, of, mm. of, of, of the of the poesis out of it, right? That takes the it's like taking a, a tower out of it, taking a tall building and only looking at the pillars. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's actually that's exactly the metaphor he uses. <laughs> right? It's, it's, Way he, to go, Knox. He, 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 he says um, that they come down to this tower and they dismantle it, and so that they can pick up each uh, brick and look at it separately, and they lay it out, and they and they, he says, but what they don't understand is that. If you climb the tower from the top of the tower, you can see the sea. You know, see, I, part of what has done that for me is a post-millennial um, uh, uh, worldview. Right. And and I, I don't want to just say eschatology. I think a post-millennial worldview because it, if you understand what's going on in Genesis, again, you understand the world that God is making. And what he's doing with it. And so when you think about that, it gives you a full perspective and context to think about the world. And, you know, um, and because of the world that, you know, God is making, you should get started practicing in in what it's going to be because you're going to be living in it for eternity. Right. right? right. And so you start exercising in practice for the world that is that he's making actively making right now. Yeah. 
you know the the and it's going to be a place filled it, you, it's it's not going to be a place just filled with like mere scientific uh Tech, inquiry yeah, technology yeah, yeah. Or yeah, no, yeah, it, yeah. it's going to be a place um filled to the brim with beauty that is created uh, by God, but also beauty created by people to bless one another. Right? Mm. Yeah. And, mm. and so that, that sort of world um, that's going to exist for eternity, we do begin to get tastes of it in advance as people, uh, you create poetry and music and beauty. You know, was, uh, on the way here, I was listening to some of my favorite opera Kanye West? <laughs> no, I was oh. listening to the new Kanye West album yesterday. <laughs> some of your favorite album? Um, and I was trying to make heads or tails of some of it. Um, Kanye? The new, the new album. I there, have there, a theory on that. There are parts that I like. Mm-hmm. And then there are parts that I'm like. What I'm happened not, to you? I don't, well, what, what are you thinking, man? <laughs> yeah. But, but the thing with Kanye is he is thinking something, right? But. I just can't tell what it is. So (laughs) (laughs) go back to, I don't know if I can even, yeah, go back to some of his older stuff. (laughs) Or some of his stuff he did with Jay-Z, that stuff. (laughs) Well, here's the deal. I think Kanye um, does something that hardly anybody else does in music. Everybody else rides waves in music. Mm -hmm. Kanye West is the only person who moves the Overton window. Oh, yeah. He's the only person who does it. Well, the stuff he's sampling, he's like, oh, yeah, didn't expect that. Yep, exactly. And the people he puts together, who would do that? Yeah, but the the point, which I love. I mean, there's, I think, in that sense, Kanye is saying, he's saying, what what it would look like for this world to be in conversation with itself, in places that people don't think you can have it. Right. Right. there's things about that I love. He's like, who would they tell me I can't talk to? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me go. Let me go do exactly what they. Yeah. So I, I appreciate. But I think the other thing with him is that. So if you pay attention to Kanye's album, he always has this one album where it's kind of like, eh. Right. And but but what he does is kick open a door. Yeah. So that what you thought was eh now becomes like, oh my goodness, this is the. New. So when he did the 808 album, it was kind of the same thing. It's like, eh, what's he doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but then. The next generation, or the next not generation, <laughs> the next musical generation. Oh yeah, it's like it, it that, all sounds yeah. like that's the, that, yeah. that was a landmark. Was, it yeah. was all of a sudden these distorted bass hits come right. out of nowhere. Right. Like you can do that now. When well, you know, um, in all forms of music, not just hip hop. Uh, right? Yeah, all, all everybody over the place. took. But and you see that with like when Wu Tang basically re-energized the 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 beat. What what mm-hmm. filled everybody's imagination with the possibilities? That you, boom bat, yeah. It, the um, and brought some. It, when you look at what was what was he what was uh, RZA listening to? You know, he's listening to Blondie. He's listening to all the everything, yeah, everything, right? Or even you know the, the Asian. What, what was yeah the the, uh, the so I was just looking. I was actually just listening through some of the Japanese funk stuff that mm. he uses. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you? It's amazing, um, Indian music. Yeah. You th- but it's funk music. They're singing in Japanese over it, and Riz is like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna clip that. I'm gonna you know." So he's pretty amazing stuff, um, because he's opened himself up to some of the significant com- 
points where you shouldn't be allowed to have conversation according to the culture. This is my, this is, I think we talked about this a little bit. I'm just going to say it and I keep wanting to go back to something we said earlier. But one of the reasons that I've always appreciated Kanye, why I think he's important is that there's hardly, um, hip hop music didn't disciple the next generation well. Actually, hardly any music disciples yeah. the next yeah. generation well. Hip hop music didn't either. And so guys like Red Man, Meth Man, and some of these other rappers, you know, who, I mean, it's amazing how long hip hop artists stayed current. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, they stay current in the public, they stay current in society, they stay current in the music. So, sometimes, even if their rap gets bad. Even if they're, yeah, absolutely. Like, like especially Common. when, yeah, and he's like, still, everybody still respect yeah, Common, though. Right. They know. Yeah, oh, I know. But baby, let me testify. This new stuff, I'm like, how do you forget how to rap? Ticka da, ticka da, ticka ticka da. He's been busy becoming an actor. I tell you to rest when I see you. There are times, you know, like yeah. But there is a, but they didn't disciple well, and then they looked up and said, "Man, what is this crap? Yeah, going on right now? What's wrong with the kids these days? It's like, what is this, man? Like, open your mouth, dog. Like, punch you in it. You know, one of my favorite things was listening to. An interview where Eminem is complaining about the kids these days, it's right? Like, right, you're Eminem, right? Like you were the problem, and, and this is where I think <laughs> Kanye West has been interesting because there wasn't. I mean, hip hop to me has been the world sound, and what I mean by that is it sampled everybody. When hip hop started, it didn't have its own. It stole jazz yeah. and mixed it with the break beats. To create its own sound, and then it would take classical music and throw it on top of there with the strings, and then it would take you know it it, it blended from all the different sonic sounds and samples to create its own you know culture, which invited everybody in. Right. Because so you and you had the early two thousands, late nineties, you had classical music really infusing yeah. the jets because they were sampling well, it. And I can't remember the name of the the documentary you sent me on the Beats headphones. Oh yeah, um, defiant ones. Defiant ones. There's yes. that moment when Dre doesn't know that the camera's on and he's playing. I can't remember if it's Chopin or Mozart at the piano. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. he turns around and he's like, "Shut that off." Yeah, I don't yeah. want anybody knowing that yeah. I'm a classical pianist. Almost every <laughs> producer was always. I mean, he classical music has moments in it where you can't help but hear a nasty kick drum and snare on oh, top yeah. of it. Like, well, you, one of the one of my favorite documentaries is called. Bach and Friends, mm. and it's a bunch of people, you know, modern musicians talking about Bach and that have learned different Bach pieces, and talking about how Bach has influenced the mu- the modern music that they're making right now. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. oh yeah, oh it, easily, it's like this is this is the dance music of of a previous generation, and it's the so the, and the principles are the same because our the bodies. Are, function the same mm. you know and you know english as a language it works in twos and threes so english music tends to work in twos and threes mm. um, uh, but french doesn't so french doesn't work in the same twos and threes so you've got classical music that has that works on some different principles but the human principles are the same and that this is what i was thinking about the opera i was listening to a german opera on the way here and it was beautiful and I'm feeling moved by it. And I'm thinking what's weird is I don't speak German. I don't actually quite know what they're saying. 
<laughs> but I feel moved. I feel the emotions they're feeling along with them because um, it, it, it's beautiful. And I'm thinking, I wish I did. I wish Understood, I yeah. could be a part of this. Yeah. But, you know. That's really interesting. One of the things that um, Nate Wilson talked about the conference in, in South Dakota was that Logos is the last thing that comes on. You have Athos and Pethos that come yep. in. And they, through the passion and through the truth of that integrity of that person that wins the person to your position, and then Logos comes in to anchor that, right? right. But what right. we usually lead with is Logos first, and like, here's all the facts. And it's like, but no, it, it's, it comes in. And so this goes to my point why Kanye was in. I love how we all connected that yeah. back. But this is the reason why Kanye is important is because Kanye is, was the bridge between a generation and they're old R&B, old classical, old um, blues music, old um, singers, Otis Redding, and those guys, and sampled them. Right. And, yeah. and took their voice and their sound to a generation that had no idea who they were. And it's the same way that memes are working in this way. So I've realized that the Michael Jordan crying meme, most kids in their 20s have no idea who Michael Jordan is. Right. They, and they don't they don't remember 25, that moment. They don't remember that moment. Have yeah. no concept for it. What exactly? They don't remember yeah. the moment. They have no concept for it. What? So I just realized my kids, they don't know anything about 9/11. My daughter's about going to be 14 October. She has no concept of 9/11. Right. She doesn't know, she's just living in the world that 9/11 created, not knowing that there was a world before 9/11. Right. And they, so Kanye West is was the bridge of generations from old to a current generation that connected that generation, you know, da -da, through the fire, through the limit. Shaka Khan all of a sudden is making it into the right. next generation. Yeah, and they're they're saying, "What's that sample? Yeah, what is that sample? What is that?" And they're going back. Right yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's what like Shock G, Warren G did with Parliament. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's why. So Kanye West is the bridge so that and I'm bringing this up for a reason when the way that he has decided to do that and whether he's doing it consciously or not I think he's smart enough to know how important it is to history is that he's he's covenantally connecting people to the movement yeah he's he's saying you're a part of something that is the, bigger that's this, bigger yeah. that started Older. before you got here that was a part of a legacy that created something. This goes back to the, the um, uh, uh, Day of Soul we were talking about. Uh, oh, De La Soul? No, 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 no. Oh. The oh, Summer of Soul. Summer of yeah. Soul, thank you. That we were talking about. Um, watching that and watching the music that comes from that, when you, it was mostly gospel. Right. That was being sung. I mean, a lot of gospel singers were there and people were. And, and the, the connection that they were making was you have a covenantal line that transcends this moment that was here before you got here right. that you need to be grateful for. And, and, and it brings you in. And Kanye West, I think he is doing the same thing. And what we need to remember how to do is to do that same thing, too. The worst thing that we can do right now is forget to tie this moment to the bigger story. Right. One hundred percent. You yep. know what I mean? And and so that's why I'm struggling like what and this is going to lead to knowing that understanding that I need to be able to do that. I realize I don't read enough poetry 
And I'm realizing sometimes I think my rhetoric is the thing that I need to work on. And it probably is, <laughs> you know, but ultimately if I have horrible rhetoric, but tell better stories, I'm going to win. Right. Yeah. And so I need to poetically figure out how to how to use my rhetorical blunt instrument inside of a of a poetic, um, you know, almost what they call a velvet covered brick, you know, <laughs> where I have rhetoric as my brick <laughs> and poetry and story as the velvet. So they're like, pow, oh, man, but that felt so smooth when it hit, though. Right. That that people when 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 you come in with a story that people love, you know, one of the things just as a screenwriter that that bounces around and um, I don't know where I first heard it, but I tell people all the time. So I'm a comedy writer by trade. Right? So my job is to make people laugh. Hmm. My my goal is to also elevate people's humanity in the midst of it. Right. But if I can't make them laugh, then I shouldn't be doing the job. Right. That's the, that's, right. Because that's right. the job. But you're trying to elevate people's humanity in the midst of it and help them it's it's good for the soul to laugh at yourself right it's bad for the soul to laugh um at others but it's good to laugh with others right so you there's so there's cheap forms of laughter and that are degrading and so try to avoid those but if if you can't tell a better joke then you're not going to win mm. you're not going to keep your job um but the uh the it's it's a you're either um, in comedy you're either biting and devouring people or you're feeding people right those are the two options I mean, it's Galatians five you bite and devour one another um, mm. uh, or you produce the fruit of the spirit and you feed one another right those mm. it's all those are always the two options and um, you can use something like humor or, or beauty or poetry in a way that feeds people. No, Jason, I need to win the argument. <laughs> right. I'm well, on Twitter. I got 240 characters. It's all I got, yeah. man. And so you, so, and uh, Twitter is a good example of it's, it's a whole bunch of people biting and devouring one another, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's all of the, the um, vampires trying to keep every, all, everyone else in the sewer. Uh, cause mm-hmm. they don't want anyone to escape. Um, crabs in a barrel, crabs in a barrel. Yeah. yeah. Same, same, uh, idea. And so you've got this, a uh, but it's because people are, are made, you know, if, if all of history is one God's long form joke and resurrection is the punchline, mm. then you can either have comedy that works with that or against it. Mm. Um, and it's, mm. it's the same with poetry, right? You, you have, uh, there's a lot of, uh, of great, you know, I think Eminem is a good example of an excellent wordsmith working against the poet, the, mm. the, the poet, if the, the poet that's actually writing history, mm. right? He's really good with words. You could, uh, um, you, you know, if you, if you break down the poetry that he writes, you say, well, man, he's really good. Being as, bad. <laughs> yeah. It, at, but the poetry itself is cutting against the poet mm. of history. So, um, but we don't think that way at all. And so we are working against people's humanity, 
trying to get them to be more human. I mean, that's what the gospel does is it re it, it regenerates, right? It, it, we're born again, mm. we're becoming the human we were intended to be in the first place, but that sin has, has killed. Right. So, but, so we, we work against people's humanity in our attempt to restore their humanity. Um, <laughs> yes, no, that's part of the, so, um, for, give me two places. I want scriptural wise. Where can I spend more time, kind of in scripture, learning how to do this well? Is it more Psalms? Is it? Is it? I mean, it. It's the. I think because there's a saturation level where I think that, and maybe it's some of our exegesis, maybe our own Gnosticism. I don't know, but that we're not able to see, um, how how to communicate, and it's it's a you know watching Paul. When he talks to Jews versus when he talks to Gentiles, when he talks to Gentiles, he starts at the beginning of the story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the story is completely different, and he has a different, you know. Well, I, so there's a. I once heard a missionary speaking, and I wish I knew. The, I wish I would have written down who it was or where he was, but he was, uh, at, you know, he was a missionary to a tribe in Africa, and he had spent years working amongst this tribe and had no converts and he'd been telling them about Jesus and he'd been, you know, doing the whole, like trying to get people to come to the Lord. And let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus died for your sins, all this. And, um, he, he had decided to give up. Right. So he said, this is, I've got six months left on my current tour. Somebody else has got to take over. And, he what he started though um as he was getting ready to go was uh, a bible read through starting at genesis 1 and mm. just saying anybody that wants come over here and we're just going to be reading the bible cuz he'd given up on preaching <laughs> like, right oh. and so people started to come um and he read a big chunk of genesis and then uh he said we you know, we'll be back this time and and there was twice as many people the next time. And then pretty soon they were crowding in to hear the story. And he's reading through the book of Genesis and um, he gets to the, some genealogies. Um, uh, actually he might've gotten to the book of numbers and he starts reading the genealogies and he, he almost skipped them. But as he's reading through the first one, some people look at each other and they smirk and they laugh a little bit and, Pretty soon, he's reading through another one, and they all go, whoa. And they look at each other, and, and they are getting the genealogy in a way that he doesn't because they're living in a, geneal a culture that mm. still keeps genealogies and understands that a genealogy is an argument. Sign of this. Right? Oh, okay, yeah. okay. So they're getting the argument because they're able to track genealogies. And so, he, and so pretty soon, he's like, this is, this is something else going on that I, that I was un unaware of. They are looking for the. They're looking for a. What's my myth? And and how does it compare to theirs? And he myth in the big M sense. What's my mythos? What? How do I explain the kind of world I am in? Where is what went again. wrong? Yeah. And how did how does it get fixed? Yeah. And where is it headed? Right. And I've been trying to introduce them to a person in a vacuum that they don't get what. Jesus is infrastructure. So they, they have no infrastructure to no plug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, so he, so pretty soon, 
it, it's just packed, right? People, so they're going home and they're telling each other, hey, man, let me tell you the story of the book of Genesis. And so pretty soon everybody's here to, to know what's going on next. So he reads all the way through the entire Old Testament, starts in at Matthew 1, and they're like, Oh, the genealogy, the genealogy. Okay. I get it. I know who this person is. I kn- And then they get to the part where Jesus dies and they're furious. They're furious that anybody would kill the rightful King, the rightful heir to Adam's throne. <laughs> they're seeing it better than Jews. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so when the resurrection comes, they get up and they're, they ha- they start dancing. Right. And he's like, I've never, <laughs> seen anything like this. Right? He's just reading the story. He's just reading the story, but he had stopped treating the Bible as a story. And so he couldn't actually communicate the, the truth in the way that God communicated the truth that's in a, in a transformative way. Mm. We read the Bible looking for the nuggets of Gnostic fact. Oh. And we don't take the Bible as the work of art that it is that rebuilds people, right? We're made of God's poetry. We're made of God's story. Then he gave us a story that rebuilds people. Calvin calls it, uh, Calvin says the Bible creates its own understanders, right? It Mm. creates its own hearers. That's the kind of book that the Bible is. It recreates its hearers into the kind of people that understand it because of the kind of work of art that it is. And, and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, he's active, he's present. It's not something that acts apart from God. It is God's word that's continually active. We don't, but we don't treat it like that. So we think, what's the, how do I draw the important truth or the important principle out of this <laughs> story? I'm so nasty. <laughs> Rather than the story is the thing. The door, yeah, the story but, is, yeah. The the, the, the the, you talked about this before. We, we the way we teach our exegetical classes is like Jesus used story. You story yeah, like yeah, Jesus right. because story is the best. No, no, no. no. <laughs> this is what you're made of. Yeah, you're, you're talking to a person that is a, it is is a story come to life, and so a story is the thing that makes him come to life anew. Mm. Right. Yeah. The, what is the gospel? Right. Yeah. The gospel is the story of the uh, of God's interaction with the human race. And it's a story that also brings people to life. Right. It, it's, that's why Paul calls it the breath of God. Right? The Bible is the breath of God. Well, what does the breath of God do? Well, it's breathed into Adam in the first place. If you know Genesis, right. yeah, that you when you Genesis, hear that, you're like, oh, Adam it's, it's the thing soul. that brings the dead to life. Right? Mm. That's what the breath of God is. Yeah, speak and, to these dry bones. Yeah. And so we yeah. think... Paul is making an argument for the infallibility of Scripture. And so we take that verse out of the story and say, look, the Bible is infallible. No, it is. Right? We're not even arguing that. That's yeah. what, but that's not what, what Paul is talking about is the Bible is a resurrecting word. Wow. It is a, it is a, a word that um, it, it is a, a poem, a story, a song. Um, and you know, Psalm 119 talks about the law of God this way. Mm. It revives my soul. Right? Mm. What what vived his soul in the first place? Well, God breathing into Adam, sin devived it, and now it revi- is revived. Right. So we when we take it out of the story and we um, then we we actually don't 
present the gospel. Mm. Right. We talk a lot about the gospel. We have, yeah, we talk about it, but, but it doesn't we have any. Actually present it's the like gospel. taking a heart out of the chest yeah. of a human, right? Yeah. It, it it beats, but it's supposed to send blood yeah. to the body so that the hands work, the feet work, yeah. right? The mind functions, all this stuff. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, uh, or it might not have been C.S. Lewis, somebody somewhere talks about um, the, the vivisection um, is where you cut an animal open while it's still alive so that mm-hmm. you can see it function. And he's like, Chesterton, I think that's who you Yeah, think. Chesterton, yeah. yeah. He says, the problem is once you cut it open, it's yeah. not alive anymore. So right. you're not, there's no such thing as vivisection except for in the pulpits of modern America and how we try to deal with the Bible. Mm. <laughs> so we, we don't, we, we don't treat it like it's and And so then we create terrible art. Right, because we think it's all disconnected. Yeah. So we, then, so then we see the uh, not the what are those? Um, what's his name? She had the broken uh, pieces. It looked like a broken piece of art. I came not Picasso. Was it Picasso? Well, Picasso. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. The person, the, the cubism. Where yeah, the, yeah, that's the what I'm thinking. Picasso. Yeah. And so we. That's what we end up making. <laughs> right. Right. Because <laughs> right? it's disconnected from humanity. So it's just a whole bunch of pieces put yeah. together, which is why Christian worldview has become so popular because. We have all this Christendom without understanding how it truly operates in the world. Yeah, yeah. We we because we we think we can dissect the ideas and put it, each of it into its own category, and then somehow we have a Christian way of thinking. Wow, it's fragmented. Yeah. So, um, right. And, it's like Frankenstein. It is. It's totally. It's totally Frankenstein. And but and the thing is. Though God, like we were talking earlier, God still draws straight with crooked lines. So there's people trying to study the Christian worldview um, that are good people and they do good stuff and you know that, all, all of that. So it's not a it's not an insult to the people trying to do that, but it isn't going to be. Effective. That's not the final yeah. end, though. I, it's, it's, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. Well, I was just thinking, like if you, but if you read the story and you see how God works. He doesn't do everything overnight. Matter yeah. of fact, very few things have happened. When he made the world, he didn't make it like that. Yeah. He has no problem with things being mixed for a while as he's working through the process yeah. of breaking it and reforming it and then filling it. Right. right. <laughs> like and, that's the story. And but we want we want revolution, not and this is so it, I I as much as I appreciate the our revivalistic heritage one of its problems is wanting that revivalistic yeah. a moment of chaos comes in. I'm completely uh, undone, and then I walk away fixed. Right? It's little. It's it's communism for the soul. <laughs> so you know what? Uh, thanks, Jason. <laughs> you know, it's funny that I've had to reject. Or that. communism is just secular revivalism. Yeah, well, and and that we all expect to have which is why we've talked a couple times earlier and I'm like that big wall of judgment that I see coming. I'm like I want to hide from it or I'm hoping that if I repent I won't have to go through yeah. that that big wall of water that's coming that's going to over but it it's not how God I'm realizing more and more that's not how God works. If you know the stories then you know death and resurrection. Right. But if you know the stories in repentance that is the thing that once you get hit by that, 
you might die. America could completely crumble and go away, and that's okay. Yeah. Right. Because there's a resurrection from. So what did God use that for in the story? It's not the first time. I mean, if if the Son of God came to Earth <laughs> and, and died, what and makes what, you think? Why would we expect that when we take up our cross that that's not going to happen? Exactly. Yeah. But from that, he won a bride. He put in his death. He killed uh, death. <laughs> right. Right. You know, yeah. and, and separated us from the husbandman that we were attached to, so that we could be married to him. Right. There's there's a a fundamental desire to avoid the to uh, walking in the wake of Christ's life. Yes, yes, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And we should expect our lives to take the same shape as Christ's life, which was death and resurrection, right? Because he had been living in a, a loving, self-giving community mm. in which um, the Father, Son, and the Spirit from eternity past had been loving one another and giving themselves away to one another and for one another so that when Christ comes, he doesn't do something new. Right? He continues. The new thing is that we are brought, brought into, into that. that community. Mm-hmm. Right? That's the new thing is our adoption, um, which it's our, our adoption that happens as we come into his people and are become part of his family in the present and then he calls the resurrection at the end of time in Romans 8 the final adoption right mm. so even the adoption happens in in overtime singing bowl what is that uh so it's one of my favorite poets Malcolm Gite okay and uh, the the collection is called singing bowl but he talks about this is one one of my favorite poems in here the poem is called on being told my poetry was found in a broken photocopier that's the name of the poem. On That's, being, is he a Puritan? He's he's alive. <laughs> he's alive right now. So, he writes yeah. like a Puritan. He does, he is that a title again? Uh, uh, on being told my poetry was found in a broken photocopier. Mm. So he, one of the things I love about him is he almost, well, he exclusively writes in older poetic forms. Mm. And so he spends a lot of time in with the older poets. And so, you, but then he writes in a modern, modern context. So, The poem is, On being told, my poetry was found in a broken photocopier. My poetry is jamming your machine. It broke the the photocopier. I'm to blame. With pictures copied from a world unseen. My poem is in the works. I'm on the scene. We free my verse, and I confess my shame. My poetry is jamming your machine. Though you berate me with what might have been, you stop to read the poem just the same. And pictures copied from a world unseen subvert the icons on your mental screen and open windows with a whispered name. My poetry is jamming your machine. For chosen words can change the things they mean and set the once familiar world aflame with pictures copied from a world unseen. The mental props give way on which you lean. The world you see will never be the same. My poetry is jamming your machine with pictures copied from a world unseen. Mm. So he, he's talking about, I mean, first off, it's just it's a beautiful poem. He's, uh, he's one of the few living masters um, in working in the published poetry 
Um, Sorry, I was buying this on Amazon as you were talking. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yeah, just wait till you read the singing bowl. I, that's that one is amazing. But what he, what he says is, we we have this conception of the world, and poetry, when done well, it it shows us the that world that we can't see because of the way we mm-hmm. have have defined things, the way we the story we're telling. It also shows us. So poetry is one of the things it does is it can look in two directions at once. That's mm-hmm. when, when poetry is good. So it, but it, so the world unseen is both the actual world right in front of us that because of the way we're telling the story, because of the way that we are existing, we can't see what's actually right in front of us. Yeah. But it also shows us the world unseen, meaning the, the realm that God lives in. Right? It, it shows us heaven the way god lives in his in in his community um, amongst amongst the angels with himself uh, in heaven amongst those that have died and gone before so it shows us both of those things right it can show us the way the world actually is and it can show us the way the world ought to be the heaven um, uh, the the uh, the on earth as it is in heaven heaven yeah and then um, but it does it by jamming our machine right we're going along and things are just Mm -hmm. fine the way they are and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden you know boom you you run up against uh uh poetry or a story or something that says you're not seeing it right you know i mean i I remember the first time i heard public enemy right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and here's this story that i don't know i'm living in suburbia in Spokane jammed the machine. Yeah, it jammed my machine, and I said, "Oh man, there's something I'm not seeing." Mm. Right, uh, Hamlet. Hamlet did that for me as well. You're reading Hamlet, and the the first time you get it, and you see, um, what it is that Shakespeare is doing, and you say, "Oh my gosh, there's no going back." Mm. Once you see uh, how much rivalry and revenge blind us to reality and cause us to do things we would never be okay with. Uh, mm. But but we retell the story in such a way that the rivalry and the revenge become what we think of is actually going on when it's not. Mm. Right? And so then we, the, the way we self-justify, right? You, when you see it in Hamlet, it, it jams the machine and, and you can't go back. Um, you know, Walker Percy did that for me. Um, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, uh, that there, that there are, but it, but it's not that they walk up and they say, "Hey, you know, your heart can be really vengeful, and it's really hard to to uh, see reality when you're acting vengefully." Right? It comes up and it shows you Hamlet giving the option between revenge and justice, and he has every right to uh, enact justice which will cleanse the land and rescue it. But he wants revenge. Mm. And when he chooses revenge and then justifies it to himself, um, not only does he die, his, his, the love of his life dies and his whole family dies and the, the land is cleansed anyway, but it's cleansed because he now needs in spite of, right? Yeah. yeah. So he, um, and uh, that poetry has a way of jamming the machine um, and showing us worlds unseen that you can't 
get with just a let me write a uh, you know, or let me just get, lay down the facts right because mm-hmm. you can always take facts and fit them into the story that you're already telling mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, what you can't do is take a story that is uh, uh, that presents the world in a different way and fit it into your story Mm. But we that's that's how we exist. You know, what's crazy about all that is that when you are paying attention to Hamlet or you or you hear a, your, your hero does the wrong thing. We all know it. Yeah, right. Like we all we're like, oh, it's amazing. It's kind of like going to or if watching a scary movie, especially in a black theater. If you go to a black theater, have you ever done this before? No. Okay. I don't know if it, you have to go watch like a real scary movie, a black theater, because Everybody knows, girl, don't go in there. <laughs> like, right. like, you know what I mean? Like, what you doing? That's stupid. Like, and yet we are that person. Yeah. Right. Like, and yet we, we don't, it tends to remind us. And so now, now by people like, no, 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 I know how this one go. We don't do that. Right. Right. <laughs> if there's five white people and one black person, we're not going anywhere at dark. Okay, in the middle of the field. I know this. I know this story. You know what I mean. And so it's funny; those stories help remind us, like, ooh, like with David and Jonathan. Ooh, I'm that guy. Yeah. Well, horror movies are a really good example of something that Christians shouldn't have ever given up. That was ours. That was ours, and we walked away from it. I mean, even I mean, you look at the the vampire. So a, a lot of the the basis for Thrickle. our horror <laughs> for our horror stories kind of grows out of the Victorian yep. era, um, and that the ideals of Victorianism was a well balanced life, right? And so when something got out of balance and out of its place, then it became monstrous. So the mm, vampire, like government, okay. yeah, yeah, no, one hundred percent. That's. Um, that's the that's the horror movie that we need to be because right now you know mm. you get you get an alien horror movie and who shows up to fix it it's always the government, the government. yeah we got to we got to undermine that narrative they but, are the aliens yeah, <laughs> yeah that's why Hellboy is so anyway, oh so good, I'll save it for next yeah. time okay no, I'll save it for next time and so um, the uh, or Van Helsing the movie Van Helsing yeah, yeah. where the who shows up to save it well. There's a group of monster killers that live underneath the church. That <laughs> is that is that why I that's, like uh, uh, Wesley Snipes in Blade. Yeah, Blade is a good, that's another good example. But you because um, he's not the government, right? Right. But Van Helsing is the is the hero in Dracula. Dracula is when you have um, the desire for pleasure separated from the limiting uh, the the limiting blessing of society. Right, you have kind of lust run wild. That's probably how we need to open up our talk at the Fight Life Feast conference on the politics of sex, sexual Gnosticism, and yeah. Christian humanism. Right, yeah. that's probably how we need to open it <laughs> I up. I think so. So you, when you have this kind of lust without the limiting factors, the the, the limiting blessing of society, mm-hmm. you get. We, we all would become a vampire, right? We all would become somebody that would empty our neighbor of their life to save ourselves. To, My goodness, it's abortion. It, it really is, right? It's a, it, um, and so the, that whole, the whole horror genre um, was originally, it's wisdom literature, right? 
and even up to you know the even up to the the zombie movies that are set in malls if you don't it's a zombie is a body without a soul if what 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 happens when you give in completely to your bodily appetites well you eat your brain you eat brains right you end up mindless um, and you're just run completely on on the satisfaction of bodily desires that, on to the next and you consume people on, like they're you nothing consume to be people like they're nothing you and and you move from person to person eat them up and move on um you and and because we are designed to be filled by an infinite god we will empty the entire world mm. before we will be able to satisfy ourselves and we will still and we will still be hungry right and that's that's what horror movies should be teaching us um and you still see vestiges of that because you know, you go out to camp hatchet three and what happens when you, you go out in the, the, the two, the two kids that go out and, um, you know, are sexually promiscuous out in the woods are the first to die mm. because we know that there's still this feeling of, of guilt. Uh, and so we, we have this satisfaction in their death. But then the the kid that it, that avoids it, or he's turned down by the girls, and so he's like, you know, rescued. Um, we want him to survive, but we're you know that we but we want the uh, the bully, the, the jock that has taken advantage of the girl to die. This goes back to my C.S. Lewis question: How is it that these stories they all resonate with us in one way or another, but we don't know why? We don't know why, because I think a lot of people even just heard that and like, oh, wow, that makes so much sense. But they didn't know why right. that story resonated. Just kind of like horror movies that's gross and it's gratuitous and all that other stuff. Like, yeah. you know, and they, but, can, they can be right. That's right, a temptation right, exactly. that sometimes we can, but, but directors it, fall into. And well, like and, the Saw movies. Right. Right. Exactly. But sometimes some of those movies need to express some of that to understand how bad it is. Yeah. This is where I think we fail. And in a culture, they're. There were Christians who went to lions to the point that um, and sacrificed themselves to the point that it became gross and the people couldn't stand it anymore. They couldn't handle it. Any that was it's just no, right? You know. And there's a point sometimes where I think we need to figure out how to get at that without being over the top, but get at them like, yeah, not to a baby. You know what I mean? Like, right. 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 Like, that's where the argument for some of the images, I don't think they're necessarily done right in how they could be presented, but that was the Emmett Till argument too. Mm -hmm. Open casket to the point, it was like, n not a human being. Yeah. That's just, no. Well, there there are... You know what I mean? Yeah, so, you know, if you put up... You're doing it again. We're supposed to be done. And, and <laughs> you put up images of uh, aborted babies on a... And people will look away. Right. right. They, That's not connected to the story. It's, is it? it's not yeah. connected to the story. And there, there may be a use for that, that horror. Sure. And, and so I'm, I'm not saying that there's no use for that horror, but, but something like district nine, the is mm. a sci-fi movie, um, based on South African apartheid, but it's with aliens basically. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, one of the things they do is they show how abortion was used to control minority populations, but they do it in the context of an alien movie. And so it slips past and there, and then all of a sudden people start pointing it out and then it loses its distribution because 
now they're like, oh, shoot, did we just make a pro-life movie accidentally? Mm. <laughs> like, well, are we distributing a pro-life accident movie? Because the, but because the abortions are being done to aliens, um, and it, it, peop, it slips past, and but then all of a sudden people are like, wait, is abortion being used to control minority populations to mm. keep them down? It's like, well, yeah, Jesse Jackson's been telling us that for well, until he got paid, until off. he got paid off, right? Him and Al but, Sharpton, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, well, yes, absolutely. That um, that is, but but that knowledge, if you just try to hand it out in tracts, doesn't have the doesn't, same. It, well, it doesn't get out. The knowledge doesn't get out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We that's because I still want to know, like, how do you, you know, this is something we can talk about next time, even. But how do you, you know, you have this Imago day inside right. of people and that that story is resonating and you want to be able to pull on that in the right way, being able to do that. If, if people understand that about a horror film and they get it, yeah, like they get it. How do you, you know, flip that so that they, you know, Jesus did that so, so well, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to the point where they're like, Ooh, I mean the same way with David and Jonathan, yep. where he flipped it on him. You he got it. Yeah. Cause Dave was ready to go to war. He already told him what he was going to yeah. do. You know, like, oh, this is done. You don't take that man. You know, and to the point so that you have that anchor. Now, how do you pull on that? Because I think we have a lot of groundwork laid for us in our culture, in our society already with the narrative that people don't even know have the Christian connotations to it. And we have these anchors um, because the gospel has gone forth so broad and so wide in American society. We have a lot more anchors than we think yeah. we do. But the people who I find pulling on those anchors are the social justice movement. Right. And man, they are winning because they're pulling on those anchors. The civil rights movement won because it has such a strong pull to Imago Day yeah. humanity, humanism, right? Yeah, it, and it believed that images would communicate. And so they were willing to be sprayed by hoses, knowing that when people see it, they will be disgusted. Yeah. They're, they're willing to lay their life down for the sake of their neighbors in a way that I, I don't think that we would be willing. So we, but, all right, we'll talk about it. I wonder, are we calloused now because of the fact that that's all we've seen? We're I, I think there's some of the callous, though, is we have seen all of that, but also there have been people that have been attempting to capitalize on oh, it. Oh, no, at the yeah, same time. Because same time. when I see um, Quiet Place, I've seen horror films before. When I see Quiet Place, it does something different for me, though. You know what I mean? Like, there's something different about Quiet Place, you know, I would want me to tell you what I think it is. What? Why don't this is spoilers? So if you too late, they listen. Yeah. You're already done. You. They set up a world in which the children could die. They set up the outer boundaries of the world in that opening scene. Okay, that's enough. No more. Don't say about it. No, no. You're right. No, that's right. Oh, they created. They created death. They yeah. They said it's an absolute possibility. This whole family could die, and one of the most the, innocent kids. Yeah, I just was. I just started watching it with my kids because I'm like, it's really not that scary. But they couldn't handle like 
living in that world for very long. They were like, no, dad, let's watch something else. My kids have been begging me to watch Quiet Place 2, and I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, so don't spoil it. Okay, I haven't seen it yet either, I, but I mean, I, I wanna, can't. Let's go watch it. It's a black theater. <laughs> I want to go watch it with oh, you. Oh, that's going to be live. I don't know how we find one in Northwest. <laughs> well, we're going to be down in Nashville. <laughs> let's find one. Or Texas. I, if it's playing in theaters. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't think about that. Like that was, I remember, 